Now please open your Bibles to Revelation, the book of Revelation. Our text this morning will be in Revelation chapter 5, the whole of the chapter. I'm going to read also chapter 4, the reason being that it's one vision. And so I'd like for us to read chapter 4 also, even though we've already covered that in our sermon series. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, hear God's word. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four elders, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." 
And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. The voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. The gospel, that is... The good news to which God's word speaks is, simply put, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And when we think of the gospel, I think many of us tend to think only of the cross. Or, more broadly, of the sufferings of Christ. But when we think of the gospel, we need to think not only of his suffering, but also of his exaltation. And so we must not only think about the cross, but also of the resurrection and ascension of Christ into heaven. Together, this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, and you might want to turn here if you have your Bibles with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1 that he would remind them, remind the Corinthians of the gospel which he preached. And then he he describes that gospel in verses 3 and 4 as consisting of Christ's death for our sins and his resurrection on the third day. And so the gospel consists of Christ's life, death, and resurrection from the grave. In fact, Paul says in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 of that chapter, that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Now, why is this the case? Well, It is the case because if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we will not be raised from the dead. He explains, if you look down in verse 19, that our hope does not ultimately reside in this life, but in the life to come, which will begin at the resurrection on the last day. And therefore, it was necessary for Christ to be raised 
because he was the first fruits of the resurrection harvest. And those who are in Christ will be the final resurrection harvest when he returns. Now I want you to notice what Paul then says in verses 23 through 26 of chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and beginning at verse 23 he says, But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he, referring to Christ, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. At Christ's resurrection and ascension into heaven, beloved, he inherited a kingdom. And that was the commencement of the kingdom of God under Christ. Now, when Christ returns and brings about the resurrection of those who belong to him, then the kingdom will be consummated. In between that time, in between the commencement and the consummation of the kingdom, Christ reigns until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy being death, which of course will be brought to an end at the final resurrection. Then death will be no more. Now this beloved, all of this to which I've been speaking, is by and large what Revelation 5 is all about. It speaks of the commencement of Christ's kingdom as well as the consummation of Christ's kingdom. And it presents Christ as coming into his reign as the king of that kingdom as well as his power to execute judgments on the world leading up to the consummation of that kingdom at his return. And what I want to do this morning is to show you how Revelation 5 is presenting these glorious truths. Now, it's important to understand, as I've already mentioned before we read Revelation chapter 5, is that this chapter is not a new vision that John was seeing. It is a continuation of the vision that began in chapter 4. What John sees in Revelation chapters 4 and 5 is worship scenes which span from the beginning of the world to the time of Christ's ascension into heaven and then at the end of the world. And so this singular vision sort of fast forwards through time, we might say. You can think of of one movie. You're watching one movie in which you can fast forward through different scenes in the movie. In chapter 4, we saw the worship that takes place in heaven from the beginning of the world. And which never ceases to occur in heaven. 
What we see at the beginning of chapter 5 is the worship scene that took place at the commencement of God's kingdom when Christ ascended into heaven. And at the end of chapter 5, it shows us the worship that will take place at the end of the world when the kingdom is consummated. And the different hymns that are sung in chapters 4 and 5 help us to to see these different worship scenes. In chapter 4, the heavenly hosts worship God in his rule over creation, which began in Genesis chapter 1. We read there in chapter 4, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you Created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 4.11. And so this is the worship that takes place in heaven since the beginning of the world. Since creation began. But in the first part of chapter 5, the vision fast forwards. And we see another hymn being sung, this time to the Lamb. Verses 9 and 10 says, And they sang A new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. This hymn was sung, as we shall see, at the ascension of Christ into heaven when the kingdom was commenced, when it began, when it was inaugurated. And then at the end of chapter 5, in verses 13 and 14, it fast-forwards again to another worship scene. It says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is a scene of worship that will take place at the consummation of the kingdom when every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth will worship God and the Lamb. In fact, you might compare this to Paul's description of the return of Christ in Philippians 2.10. When, what does he say? When every knee should bow where? In heaven and on earth and under the earth. Same language as we find in Revelation 5. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so that's the structure then that we have of Revelation chapters 4 and 5. But let's look now at some of the particulars, specifically here in chapter 5. See, the scene begins with a scroll, with seven seals that rests in the right hand of God who sits on the throne. And this scroll is rolled up and it is sealed shut so that the contents of it cannot be revealed. 
It had seven seals, and seven, as we have seen, is the symbol for fullness or for completion. It was fully sealed, completely sealed. In other words, it was unable to be opened by just anyone. Now, this scroll is God's plan for the unfolding of the kingdom through time. And no one can know what that plan is. And no one can execute that plan unless the scroll be opened. Now the plan for this kingdom was revealed in part to the prophet Daniel. And just as we read earlier in the service, Daniel was told, Daniel chapter 12 verse 4, to shut up and to seal the contents of this scroll until when? Until the time of the end. Revelation chapter 5 is showing us that the time of the end has now come. Now this fact doesn't seem apparent to John at first because when the angel asks who is worthy to open this scroll, John begins to weep. Because no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was worthy to open the scroll. But then one of the elders says to John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And having heard this, John looks and sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And so, beloved, the the lion of the tribe of Judah is the lamb who had been slain. You might remember that Genesis chapter 49 verses 9 and 10 prophesied that a ruler would come from the tribe of Judah who would be like a lion, meaning he would rule with the fierceness of a lion, strong and mighty. King David, of course, was from the tribe of Judah, but he was not this lion. David was promised that the line of rule would run through his descendants, through the tribe of Judah and specifically through his own royal line. And so God's people were constantly looking for a king mightier than David who would sit on the throne of David in a rule that would last forever, an eternal reign. And this, of course, was none other than Jesus Christ, who now sits on the throne of David In heaven, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is why Revelation 5.5 calls him the root of David. It calls him the root because David's kingship over Israel in the Old Testament was compared to a tree. Isaiah, for example, prophesied that this tree would be cut down. But from that root... From uh, that tree there would be a root. And from the root would come a branch that would come and bear fruit. From the root of this tree a branch would come that would bear fruit. 
And the tree was indeed cut down, so to speak, when Israel was exiled from the land of Canaan and was scattered out amongst the nations. But Jesus is the root of David, and from him comes the branch that grows into a mighty kingdom that bears fruit. See, Jesus, he is not the branch which would bear fruit. That would make him lesser than David. No, he is greater than David. He is the root of David from which the kingdom grows and bears fruit. And this is why, for example, David said in Psalm 110, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. In other words, David says here in Psalm 110, David says, Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let me put it one more way. David says, God the Father says to my Lord, who is David's Lord? Who is mightier than David? It is Jesus Christ. And so God the Father says to the Son, who is David's Lord, who says to the Son, who says to Jesus Christ, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. You see, beloved, what John is seeing in Revelation chapter 5 is Jesus coming to sit at God's right hand to rule over the kingdom. That's why John sees a scroll where? He sees a scroll in the right hand of God who sits on the throne. Who is able to open that scroll? Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is able to open the scroll. What is that scroll? It is the plan of God to execute judgments on the world so that he might make Christ's enemies his footstool. You see, when Christ ascended into heaven, he was enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. And so what John is seeing is the worship service in heaven that occurred when Christ was enthroned at the right hand of God. At the ascension of Christ, Christ is shown to be worthy to sit at the right hand of God and to execute the plan of God that will bring his kingdom to its consummation. This plan being written in the scroll that only Christ is able to open. What this means is that the ascension of Christ marks the end of time, the end of days, the end times. Remember in Daniel 12 verse 4, the scroll was not to be opened until the end of times. When Christ sat down at the Father's right hand, he opened that scroll. And what we will see throughout the rest of the book of Revelation are the judgments written in that scroll that are to be executed by the power of Christ until Christ's kingdom is consummated. That's why the book of Revelation ends with the new heavens and the new earth and with Satan and death itself being cast into the lake of fire. 
then Christ's kingdom would be consummated and all his enemies will be made his footstool. The last enemy being death. So you see what the book of Revelation is revealing to the readers in John's day is that though there would be pressures to worship the power of the beast, personified in his day by the Roman Empire, though persecution, perhaps even unto death, may be suffered by those who do not worship the beast, it is nevertheless God who has limitless power. They were going to face trials, temptations, and suffering. And they needed to know that Christ was sovereignly ruling over it all. And will always, even unto the present age and beyond. He is the promised Lion of the tribe of Judah, he has conquered and is reigning. And they also needed to know that he conquered, the way that he conquered, was by laying down his life. He is a ruling lion, but he is so as the lamb who offered himself as a sacrifice. And therefore the readers needed to join with the heavenly Host and worshiping Christ as the one who ransomed them from the powers of sin and Satan and death and the powers of the beast are no powers at all, not compared to Christ. And so they needed not bend the knee to the beast of Rome who was under the power of Satan. Rome may have looked Powerful from a human perspective. But they needed to see reality from the perspective of heaven. Where the one who has created all things and redeemed a people for himself is reigning over all things. Even over powerful Rome. Even over Satan himself. And beloved, we too need to hear this message even today. We need to see the world from this heavenly perspective. You see, no matter what trial or temptation that we face, no matter what sufferings we endure, no matter what the chaos is around us, God is sovereign over it all. Christ is above all and ruling over all. As a lamb, he was slain, but he is alive forevermore. And this lamb, John says, has seven horns. And in the ancient world, horns represented power. What have we said about the symbolism of the number seven? It is symbolic of fullness, of completeness. And so his seven horns symbolize the fullness of his power, his complete power that he possesses with which he rules. This lamb also has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 
His seven eyes symbolize his complete or his all-seeing power or his omniscience. He sees all and knows all in order that he might rule over all. And he does all this being empowered by the Holy Spirit. For just as we have seen in earlier parts of Revelation, the sevenfold spirit is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Beloved Christ, your king, knows all of your circumstances. He knows all of your struggles, your worries, your sufferings. And he is ruling over you and those circumstances. Beloved, in the midst of those circumstances, trust in your king. Trust him as your king. Worship him as your king. Serve him as your king. Lift up your prayers in the name of your king. For your prayers rise up as incense, as a sweet smelling aroma to God. And our sovereign God answers those prayers in accordance with his ordained plan for the world. In fact, in chapter 8, we see there that the, that the prayers of the saints, which come before him as incense, is what brings about God's fiery wrath on earth, sea, rivers, and sky. You see, it are the prayers of the saints that help to bring about what God has planned from before the foundations of the world. In other words, he uses our prayers. To unfold his very own plan. He hears all your prayers. Great and small. And he answers them in accordance with his will. Each one of them. Beloved, when you are in the midst of chaotic or what appears to be chaotic circumstances. Is that the perspective that you bring to it? That you bring to those circumstances? Do you see Christ seated sovereignly on the throne? Do you see him as in control over your situation? Do you trust him in that moment and take comfort in his sovereign rule? And turn to his word to give you wisdom to know how to respond in those situations. And do you lift up your prayers as incense. Asking him for courage and strength to follow that wisdom. Or when someone mistreats you. Maligns you. Seeks your harm. Is that the perspective that you bring to that situation? Do you see Christ as sovereignly seated on the throne even over that circumstance? Or do you see yourself as in control? Do you seek to avenge yourself? To stand up for yourself? To get that person back? Or do you see Christ as the sovereign king who will execute the judgments that are deserved by the wicked? Beloved, for now, Christ is restraining his final judgment against the wicked. And for now, seeks that you love your enemy. 
not take vengeance for yourself, but to love your enemy and to proclaim in word and deed the gospel of your great Savior and King. We must remember these truths as we live for Christ, our Savior and King. Christ, beloved, is the only one worthy to be worshipped as the ruler over heaven and earth. And therefore, the question that we all have to ask, and especially you who have never professed your faith in Christ, is do you submit to his rule over all things, including your very own life? The truth is, he does rule over your life whether you submit to it or not. And you will one day bend the knee to his rule. That is, you will either do it now by faith, or you will do it by force when he returns. For every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth will fall down and worship him when the kingdom is consummated. That's what the end of chapter 5 is showing us. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. But beloved, but my friends, it is foolish to wait for that final day. For those who do not bend the knee in faith will not dwell with God forever in heaven Revelation will affirm that through and through. As John continues to see these visions. For those who do not bend the knee in faith, they will not dwell with God forever in heaven, but will receive the judgments written in the scroll, which Christ will carry out as the ruler over all. Therefore, I urge you to bend the knee to Christ. Not because he's some dictator who seeks your harm, but because he loves you. Because he laid down his life. To save his people. To save those who. By faith. Bend the knee to him. And upon believing. I urge you then to sing. As a faithful servant in his kingdom. To sing a new song. The song of redemption accomplished by Christ. The song of the lamb. Who is the ruling line of the tribe of Judah. Sing, beloved, as faithful servants in his kingdom and give blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, lift up our prayers to you through our mediator, Jesus Christ, and with the help of your Holy Spirit, and we uh, give you praise uh, for your creation, for your sovereign rule, for your providence uh, that is so sweet and precious directed towards the church. And we give you glory and honor and praise for this and also 
for our redemption through the Lamb who was slain. Who was standing. When John sees him, he sees a Lamb standing as if slain to show that he is not a dead Lamb, but who rose again from the grave and is alive forevermore and who sits at your right hand and sovereignly rules over all things for the good of his church and ultimately for your glory. And we pray that we would seek to honor him all of our days. May your spirit sanctify us and grow us that we might better serve you all our days as your faithful servants. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.